Welcome once again to Amazing Love. It is always good to see you. It's encouraging to, to have you here and uh, encouraged by your presence this morning. And I love gathering because in this place, hope is real and hope is found. Hope is found in the name of Jesus Christ. And I wanted to welcome you, even if you're a skeptic or a cynic, um, you're, you're welcome to be among us and, and feel like you belong even before you behave a certain way. We're just glad that you're here this morning. And why I love this series, is Hope Rising, is because I do believe that in our society, hope is very, very much needed. There's so many wrestling with despair and anxiety and depression. In fact, I was reading from the New York Times, and there was one opinion poll, and it said, The Case Against Hope. A whole blog all about why you shouldn't hope in anything. The line that struck me was this. The line said, Hope is far too ineffable and far too elusive. Ineffable, I had to actually look up. It means distant, beyond. Um, And this person went on to say that she ministers in realism. (laughs) I wonder how many of you relate to that. How many of you are more realist than optimist just because of the way life went down? And call me cynical, but as I was reading, there was something that popped into my mind. I was wondering, did this person ever have an experience where she hoped so high and it just didn't turn out? Is that the reason, perhaps, that she's writing the case against hope? And I wouldn't be surprised by that because we know what that's like. We know what it is to hope for something so much and so hard, and it just doesn't happen. You ever been there? Uh, For me, I remember in high school, I'll I'll use a light illustration. I remember going to Lakeside Lutheran. It's one of our well schools, one of our church body schools. And there was a rival high school, bitter enemies. The school is called Luther Prep. And they were also wells. Meredith went there. My wife went there. And, and what I knew is that when we got together uh, to play sports, whether it be football or basketball, wrestling, there was some bitterness going on, that, that there was a rivalry ensuing, that not everything said was, was a nice kind of taunt. And so I had this hope. I, I had this hope that maybe me, God could use me to form this bridge of love and unity. That maybe, just maybe, I'm gregarious enough, I I married someone from that rival school, that that we could someday have it kind of like Steph Curry's parents. Do do you know the Curry parents? They have two sons in the NBA. And so sometimes when the sons play together, one parent's wearing one jersey, the other's wearing the other jersey, and that's what I thought could happen for these high schools. We're all on the same team. We all love Jesus. We're all doing the same. Can't we just get together, high five, hug it out? But that hope has not happened. In fact, my hope is on fire. It's part of a blazing fire. I think it's in the ashes. Actually, my hope is probably in the seventh layer of ash underneath the ground. That's where my hope lies for that to happen right now. You ever have something like that? Uh, Maybe there's a a grade schooler who who is now a little bit older, and, and honestly, your hope was to make it to the pros. MLB, NBA, NHL, that was it, right? Maybe some older guys remember that, and it just didn't happen. Maybe it was a hope for marriage, and you think you were going to marry this guy who would bring flowers every Friday, that poetry would flow from his lips, even though guys don't talk that much, uh, just because of the wonders of who you were, and that your romance would be like the latest chapter in the Nicholas Sparks book. That was going to be your marriage, Or maybe it was your career. 
And you sat down once and you had the vision board. And you could vision what you were making. You could vision the position you had, the car that you'd be driving, the house that you would live in, how people would treat you. And honestly, most of those things had to be erased. Can you relate to this topic? See, we hope for things. But not everything turns out. And when they don't turn out, a wise man named Solomon who prayed for wisdom from God, he told us what it feels like. In Proverbs, it says this, that hope deferred or hope that isn't happening, it makes the heart sick. That green is just for you guys, the sick. That, that it makes us feel bent out of shape. It gives us internal turmoil, disillusionment. It's hard. And so we live in a world where many people make a case against hope, where there are more cynics than believers where we learn to lower our expectations because at least those ones can be met. You know what I love about the Bible? I love that God records situations that are so relatable. And I consider a man named Elijah who hoped really high. And his hope was this. He was hoping that his whole nation, the Israelites, were going to turn back to God, to the one true God. But for him it wasn't happening. Or at least not enough. And so this man, Elijah, he got to a point where he said this. He said, you know what, Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What he was dealing with was that heart sickness of hoping so hard and it just didn't happen. You know, it reminds me of the disciples. The disciples, after Jesus was crucified and they didn't know what was going on, and they just saw their Messiah and teacher be tortured and now is dead, lying in a tomb. Their hearts were sick. They were locked together out of fear in the Jews. They thought that maybe what happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. They were in turmoil and disillusionment. But then God did something for Elijah, for the disciples, and for us. If you want to take away this morning, this is the first one. See, the presence of God is able to renew our hopes. See, Elijah, after that moment, he went to a mountain and God wasn't in an earthquake and he wasn't in a fire, but in a gentle whisper, confirming to Elijah that he was there and he had good plans for his people. And Jesus, he showed up to those disciples locked out of fear in the Jews and he said, peace be with you. And it changed them. They were now bold proclaimers of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's why I love church. It's not just because I'm a pastor, but because when we gather here, where two or three are gathered in the name in a very powerful way, God promises to show up and to renew your hope. In fact, some of you know you've been to a church service that you were in a funk and you walked away and you were on a different level. Why? Because you had just met with God and that's what he does. God can renew hopes to the hopeless. And that's what we get to consider today. And so what I believe is I believe we shouldn't give up on hope. Hope, to me, is like a donut. You don't give up on a donut. They're always good. Yes, it was National Donut Day. Um, and, and someone asked if I had a donut on Donut Day. I said, every day to me is National Donut Day. Uh, so I didn't need one just then. But like a donut, it's, it's really good. Hope is really good. But you got to get the recipe right. In fact, I remember learning this um, because uh, Bella and I tried to make our own donuts. And uh, we were working together. And, 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 and have you ever been in a kitchen where it doesn't smell just right? Right, and, and so uh, our taste buds confirmed that we had not figured out the right recipe for donuts. 
Dustin's Donuts is not a hope that will come true. And, and, and what I want to give you today is not a recipe for donuts, but I want to give you a recipe for hope that doesn't leave your heart sick. Because maybe just like other recipes, we need to get certain things right. Hope is a really good thing, but we need to get certain things right so that we don't become disillusioned and in despair. And that's what I want to talk about through the lens of Scripture. You ready? All right. So what we do is we, we read the whole lesson first, um, and then we pick it apart in our time together. Uh, so our, our lesson today is Jesus' ascension from Acts chapter 1. This is about the early Christian church, the events of what just happened. I invite you to follow along. It says, in my former book, and this is Luke writing, the disciple Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. His presence renewed their hope. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John was baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a hope that will make the heart sick. We'll talk about it. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and even Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen go into heaven. The powerful word of God, the ascension of Jesus, it reminds me kind of like a helium balloon. You ever let go of one of those and it just kind of floats off till you can't see it? That's Jesus. But he gives us also that recipe for hope today. Could you do me a favor? Uh, could you turn to the person next to you and tell them, you got to have high, high hopes. You got to have high, high hopes. We'll get to that. We live in a society where we want many things fixed, yeah? We see that there are problems everywhere, and, and sometimes we're like, why isn't that fixed yet? And uh, this strikes me because of the picture you might have already seen. It strikes me every time I'm driving the bridge in Joliet. Has anyone else seen the sign? Yes. Um, bridge ahead in critical condition. And if you think this is a bad sign, it gets worse. It then goes on to say, cross bridge at your own risk. Now for me, I sometimes wonder, like if you're out of state, what are you thinking when you see that sign? They have to be thinking, nah, I couldn't have seen that. I mean, why would that, why would that be the case, right? And uh, some of you might know, no, that actually is the case. When it comes to IDOT stability scale, uh, the, the best stability is 100. Anything below 80 is, is in need of improvement. Right now, that bridge is at a 6. Or at least that's what they say. To give you a comparison, this bridge, maybe you heard of it, in Minneapolis... That was rated at a 50. Yeah, yeah. 
And so, again, this is uh, something that I don't know about you, I think maybe should be fixed. In fact, every time I drive over the bridge, I try to put on my best Bruce Willis persona. I know that he has learned how to drive on bridges that were collapsing, so I'm just like, if this goes, I'm going to just direct it right into the water, and there I go. I don't mean to scare you. That wouldn't be helpful. In fact, what I do know, and some in the room are working hard on a plan to improve it, so that's awesome. But what I do say is that sometimes it's evident what needs to be fixed. And though it's evident what needs to be fixed, there's a dichotomy over when it is actually fixed or if it will be fixed. Now, in this example, it will be fixed, so that's great. You can be calm. I don't mean, again, create panic among our people here. That's not helpful. That's why I came to church. Come on, Pastor. Anyway, no, you're fine. But there's a dichotomy again over what we want to be fixed in this world and what actually becomes fixed. And the reason I bring this up is because the disciples in our lesson, they're hoping, they, they've put their thumb on a problem, and they're saying, Jesus, w- would you fix it? Because C- we really think life would be better. And so as Jesus is before ascending into heaven, this is what they come to him and ask. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, what was going on is they were oppressed by, by Rome. Tiberius Caesar was ruling, was oppressive, was exacting taxes, um, you know, and and again, very, very hard situation for them. And so they're saying, Lord, you rose from the dead. Are you going to fix that? But let me ask you, did Jesus come to fix that earthly problem? No, he did not. And something that we learn is that Jesus does not come to primarily fix earthly problems in a sin-filled world, but rather he has come to fix spiritual problems and lead us to a place where he's creating all things new. And so Jesus, even in this lesson, is trying to tell them about his kingdom, the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Israel. In fact, it reminds me of a discussion that Jesus had with Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate turns to him and says, are you a king? Jesus says, yes. But then he also says, my kingdom is not of this world. See, Jesus, he's about the salvation of souls. He wants anyone who calls on his name to be saved and all to come to a knowledge of the truth. Let me say it again. Jesus primarily didn't come to fix earthly problems in a sin-wrecked world, but rather to fix spiritual problems and lead us to a place where he's making all things new. Now, the reason this is important is because we're working with a recipe for hope. And the first part of the recipe is this. That when it comes to our hopes, we need to align our hopes with God's heart. Not everything we see and that everything we want is also in the heart of God. I consider some of our young people. One of my favorite things to do is access class. And uh, instead of talking about the favorite TV show, it's now the the favorite YouTube star. And so this has led to to many young people wanting to become the next YouTuber or Instagrammer, um, right? And I consider all those ambitions for fame and success and popularity. And do you know that actually success is a burden for most people? Success is actually something that not everyone handles very well. Or consider fame. Fame also can be a cross. It can be something hard to bear. I I was uh, uh, hearing from Newsweek this statement from Michelle Obama. Uh, She said this, What Barack and I talk about that we do miss is the loss of anonymity. 
They have a position and they have a reputation that some would like, some want to pursue, want to be famous. And what she's saying from that platform, actually, this is really hard. And so what we see is that sometimes in life, what we want, it's not necessarily what God wants for us. What it reminds me of is kids at supper time. I don't know if you've ever approached the conversation of what we should have for dinner and your kids were really young. Now, 10 out of 10 times, your kids are going to want something unhealthy, right? If they could just have ice cream for supper and maybe some french fries that you could dip the ice cream in, that'd be awesome, right? Uh, sometimes they just want pizza, pizza all the time. Uh, if, you, if you leave it up to kids, they're probably not going to have a healthy meal. And so what do parents do? We're not mean, but we say sometimes you got to have boneless, skinless chicken breast and some broccoli. I know it doesn't taste good, but it's good for you, right? So when it comes to our Heavenly Father, is it possible that when we hope, what we're hoping for is not the best thing that he wants for us? In fact, Jesus reminded us, when it comes to what you're seeking after and dreaming after, this is how he put it. He said, would you seek first the kingdom and my righteousness and all these things, whether it be food or drink or your income level, they'll be given to you as well. Seek first the things that are in God's own heart. For that's the recipe for hope. As I consider this, I'm struck by my own heart. Because how easy is it for us to just want what we want regardless? To want not God's kingdom, but my kingdom. Here again, we're confronted that we all wrestle with sin inside of us. That we're all motivated for things that may be against God's will or, or not in God's plan. And here he is calling us to repent once again. To change our mind. And could I show you Jesus? You know, there is no one more beautiful than who he is. See, Jesus, he had a hope at one point. The, the night before Jesus died, th th this was his hope. He said, Father, if there's any other way, if you could make any other plan, let's do that one. But then he ends his prayer and he says, but Father, not my will, but yours be done. He knew what it was to go after the Father's heart. And so it led him to the cross to be betrayed, denied, and finally crucified. And why? So that we could benefit. So that you and I could know the peace that we can have. The peace of forgiveness. The right to be called children of God. That is yours because of Jesus who pursued the Father's heart. And so I love to tell you that primarily Jesus is our Savior who has done what we couldn't do. But he's also our example. And he's showing us once again, when it comes to what you're hoping for, make sure that that hope is in alignment with God's heart. But there's more to this recipe. And to talk about this, I remember one of the hopes I had was to become a pastor. And, and this came early on. I remember already in high school, uh, desiring to preach and teach the word of God, desiring to be in the church of God. And there was a point in my youth, when I, when I was about 16, where I'm like, why do I have to go to eight years of school? Now, now by the way, can you imagine how intolerable it'd be to have a 60-year-old pastor leading a church? 
Can you imagine a 16-year-old at leadership team meetings? Not so good. And by the way, that's not knocking. I know many good teenagers here, uh, incredible teenagers, but your life experience probably has not set you up for that level of leadership, if that's fair. But at that point, I was saying, God, why can't it be? God, why can't I be a pastor tomorrow? After all, I've led chapel. I know Jesus. I share my faith. My class even voted me most respected. That should be all the diploma that I need, right? But that was my timeline. It wasn't God's. When it comes to what we're hoping for, the next part of the recipe is this, that we got to put our hopes on God's timeline. You know what's interesting? As the disciples came to him with that, that hope that would never happen, he doesn't say, boy, are you guys slow on the uptake. He doesn't shame them for wanting the wrong thing. But he does remind him of God's power in his time. He says to the disciples, "Um, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. And that has played out so many times in Scripture and so many times in the lives of his own people. I consider a man named Joseph. Joseph was given this dream that he would be in command, that he would be in charge. And yet that dream was not fulfilled for many, many years later. Abraham was promised a son. And that son did not come until 25 years later. Eve was promised the Messiah, someone who would crush the devil, crush the serpent's head. And that Messiah named Jesus did not come until millennia later. I consider either now, even now. We are waiting on God's return. The Christians in the first century, they thought he was coming then. But that return is on his timeline, not ours. And this can be a word of peace for some people. It could be a word of peace because maybe right now there's something in your heart, maybe for your family, maybe for your career, that maybe you thought it was never and God is just saying not yet. That's a hopeful word. In fact, I remember a conversation I had with a buddy. I told my buddy, you know what, such and such, it just didn't happen. And he was forceful enough to say it just didn't happen yet. And maybe by the strength of God, I could just breathe that into your own life. What you're hoping for, what you're dreaming about, that is in align with God's will, maybe it just hasn't happened yet. He operates by his timeline, not ours. But there's more to the recipe. And talk about this, I I want to bring up uh, the commemoration of D-Day. Did anyone see all the commemorative things for D-Day the 75th anniversary. Uh, interestingly, I saw a 90-year-old man parachute down to the beach of Normandy once again. That was incredible. He was safe, by the way. And as I was doing some research over all those World War II vets, I came across a man named Andy Andrews. And Andy Andrews was drafted along with his whole high school class from Georgia uh, to, to be a part of that war. Andy Andrews was a machine gunner. His job was to set up the tripod that the machine gun would sit upon. And uh, he, he recalls and he recounts that that position, usually uh, the, the life expectancy, how long it took, that usually a person in that position lasted seven minutes in the war. And so he remembers what it was like on the boat on his way to Normandy Beach. Before he got into the Higgins boats, uh, this was what was going through his mind. He said, at that point, I remembered what a pastor said. 
that God will not send you into uncharted territory without giving you the grace to sustain you there. And I thought, boy, oh boy, I really believe that. I believe God's going to help me. And God's grace did sustain him. In fact, he made it through Normandy Beach. He made it through the war. He, he met another uh, German, a Nazi German, uh, who was 17 years old, whose life he could have taken, but he said he didn't because he was Christian, and the other guy said, I'm Christian too. That guy gave him his cross, and it's a cross that he still keeps with him. In fact, uh, he remembers how he got through the whole ordeal by God's strength. Um, after the war, as he was coming back, he said, if God gives me strength, he vowed, as his ship returned from Europe, I'm going to tell the story of how he took care of me for 10 months in combat. There's something we've realized about God's strength. God's strength is enough. God's strength is sufficient for whatever the task. There's this child song called, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. Have you sung it? It goes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Um, uh, what's the next part? Those who are weak, little ones to him belong. Pastor should really memorize that. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is? There you go. And how many times don't we need to claim that in our lives? In, in fact, if you have a regular prayer life, here's something that I would propose to add. I propose that you add to this your, your morning prayer each day. That you would just tell God, God, I'm not strong enough for, and then just fill in the blank. For whatever that is. Maybe it's what's going on at work. Maybe it's something you're tempted by, something going on in, in a relationship. God, I'm not strong enough for, but you are. And so I rely on your strength today. When we do that, life is a little bit different. And that's the next part of our recipe for hope. That when it comes to hope, let's pursue our hopes with God's strength. As he was setting the disciples on for their task, as they were going to be witnesses, he also told them of the power that they would have. It goes on in our lesson to say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And do you know, we have that same power. This was a reference to Pentecost. And some may know today is a celebration of Pentecost in the church year. And Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out so that people were boldly confessing Jesus. And preaching that name in languages they'd never learned. But do you know today, that same spirit, it's what reigns in us. In fact, Jesus tells us our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so that same power can be at work in us. I love songs that reference this power. Chris Tomlin has a song called Resurrect Resurrection Power. Sometimes we sing resurrecting. A line from that song is, from the ashes I will rise. By your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Ephesians tells us of this power. It says his incom com incomparably great power for us who believe. You think I could talk better. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Do you know you have resurrection power at your fingertips. And if that power is with you, what is impossible if it's in alignment with his will and on his timeline? What can't he do through us? Maybe it's why Jesus told us that I can do more than you can ever ask or even imagine. 
because of the power that I gave to you. But now all of this is comforting, isn't it? All of this would be enough for you to walk out from your church experience and be like, okay, I have something to believe upon, something to pray about. But do you know you actually have something to do as well? See, there's homework in the church of God. Not for salvation. Salvation is completely done through Jesus. You can't add to that work. You can't take away from it. But in your lives that you walk out, there is work to do. And in fact, I'm reminded of this uh, by how the lesson ends. Two angels appear, and as they appear to the disciples, look at what they say. They say, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here looking into the sky? Has anyone ever used that to you? Why are you standing here? Why are you still standing here? Reminds me of parents giving chores to their kids. Here's the broom, there's the garage. Why are you still standing here? You ever been in that workplace? The boss gave you the orders, answered the questions. Um, why are you still standing here in the office? And so the angels are saying, uh, you heard what to do, heard the power of, let's, let's do it. Yeah, what do you think? Why are you standing here? And I just wonder, how much is that true in our own lives? Well, we've already prayed about it. You already know what you're supposed to do. And I wonder if a loving father is, is maybe just asking from heaven, so why are you standing there? So why haven't you done it? So why haven't you planned for it? Why haven't you done the work that makes that whole possible? See, here's the last part of the recipe for hope. That we need a plan to do the work that makes the hope a reality. An example is that of marriage. And maybe there are some kids who, who are hoping for a godly spouse. And it's in line with God's heart. And you're waiting on God's timeline. And you're going to do it by God's strength to make you the person you can be. However... If you don't ask a girl on a date, that ain't going to happen. You actually got to do something. For example, you might be dreaming of a better career. It might be in align with God's heart. It might help your family. But if you're not getting the training, if you're not applying yourself, it ain't just going to happen. If you want to be used by God, but you're waiting for that opportunity to fall in your lap and you're not taking the simple opportunities because he often operates with simple opportunities first. If you're not taking those first, why would he use you for the grander opportunities later? You've got to do the work that makes the hope possible. And when we do all these things, I believe we'll have a hope that's sustainable, a hope that doesn't make us cynical. Because we know if what we were hoping for doesn't work out, maybe it wasn't in God's heart, and we actually agree that his will is best. And maybe it gives peace right now, because we know we can still hope, and that thing could still happen, but maybe it's on his timeline. And what's great is that if it does happen, and we've been relying on his power, we're not going to take all the glory and credit as if we did it. Nor, if it doesn't happen, are we going to despair as if it was all up to us. But finally, he will give us some simple directives to walk out, to do as we pursue these things that he's given us vision for. In all of it, may you be reminded that Jesus did it perfectly for you in your place. May he assure you again that you have the right to be called forgiven and a child of God. And may he renew you 
as you have met with him today, and may he set you on your purpose. Amen. Please stand. And the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.